everyone. I'm Joanne Berry, special educator. And I'm Dr. Candida Fink. And this is Mental Health Goes to School, where a teacher and a psychiatrist walk into a podcast. You hear a lot about teen mental health and how students struggle at school. But accurate and useful information is hard to find. Over the years, Candida and I have had many conversations and learned from each other's experiences. We realize that we need more people in such a critical conversation. Join us as we talk to and learn from educators, mental health professionals, and parents with a wide range of experiences and expertise. back with Dr. Springer for part two. Right. So yes, just in case um, you're joining us for the first time, this is Mental Health Goes to School. I'm Joanne Berry, special educator. And I'm Dr. Candia Fink, a child and adolescent psychiatrist. And joining us today is Dr. Jackie Springer, Assistant Dean for Student Support and Advocacy Services at the University of Rhode Island. Welcome back. Thank you. Good morning again, everybody. Thanks for being here. I'm just thinking your business card must have like a really long. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> I, have, I use different ones. So honestly, I'm, I'm really excited that um, uh, one of the helpful things about like moving to digital business cards is yes. you can have more lines and it, it doesn't look pretentious because I'm like, well, yes, like I'm this and I'm this and like, really, I just have like different pockets of myself. So yeah, no, I th- it's true. The digital, the whole move to digital business guides, I was just looking at making one for myself and it I was like, well, this is fun. <laughs> this is so much and then so when you change easier. things, a phone number, a fax number, a, a piece of your business, whatever it's your last name. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So um, here we are with our second um, part of our interview with the, uh, Jackie. And what we wanted to talk about in this part was kind of transitioning from high school to college mm-hmm. is, first of all, on its own, a very big thing. Yeah. But for students who really need to line up support um, for their mental health, for the, the transition process, just the change from being um, with caregivers, with parents or whoever, and being a little more independent, ideally in the college setting, what to look for when you're, when you're looking for colleges and and when you're there. Right. What are some of the, you know, most highlighted, you know, challenges, vulnerabilities that we run into and sort of what can parents and students and everyone who supports them, you know, sort of uh, put into place or try to put into place what should be looking for yeah so such an important uh question (laughs) for me given that this is how i spend my day (laughs) almost every day um so i would say one of the most important things um i would say both for providers as well as for teachers for students and their families is to have an honest conversation um, with, uh, with yourselves, right? So for providers, when that student, their family sitting with you, 
for teachers um, having honest conversations. One of the, uh, I would say, biggest errors that I see folks making is sort of this uh, Pollyanna hopeful, okay, you made it through high school, you can do it, right? Like this next thing is going to be so great and it's all going to work out, right? right? Without having very specific conversations about the services and support that that youngster is currently utilizing and which of those things, whether we're talking about it from a, you know, provider standpoint or school standpoint, which of those things have been key to that youngster continuing to do well? So the reason why I call it an error is because what I am very used to seeing as a school psychologist who work predominantly in high schools is this misperception, this misunderstanding that a lot of these 504 and IEP level supports that a student has are things that they needed when they were younger that just continue to linger because the school didn't want to rock their plan, didn't really want to change their plan. and then. There isn't really a discussion about what happens when you do take that exam and you don't have 50% extended time. What happens when you need to do the assignment and it has an actual due date. And I I named this one specifically and I have like (laughs) big feelings about this because unfortunately as school providers, we did a lot of damage to our high schoolers during COVID when we started just letting them turn work in whenever. Because what we're seeing, particularly in these last two years and are going to see probably for the next three or four, is youngsters, those without mental health challenges, they are shocked, horrified, insert whatever word you want to, about the fact that they have a due date for anything. Right. Okay, so really taking a look at what accommodations are in place that that student's absolutely going to need moving forward. I'd say outside of this school setting, I think psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers that are working with these youngsters have to be clear with their clients about what things might they need outside of the classroom setting that exists as part of the college realm. So, you know, if, if you're student, if your patient is thinking about attending a four-year school, things to be looking for are, are there live-on requirements for that institution? Right. Do they have to live on campus? Right. Do you think that they are able to successfully live with someone else? Because it is very unlikely that a first year and sometimes a second year student is very unlikely that they're going to get a single room. Right. Okay. Um, If you think that this person's going to struggle with elements of campus living and campus functioning, those are things that need to be written down and discussed with that youngster and their family while they're looking at schools, not when they've already accepted. Right. So because those are things that the families need to be asking when they're coming to campus interest right. sessions. OK, 
Okay. Yeah. So this is, this is before we even talk about like what provider, what questions do they need to ask school providers? It's just basically understanding the landscape. And is this youngster in a position where they can independently function in these spaces? So that would be the first thing. Um, the second thing, you know, would be, I'd, I'd capture this under service provision on campus. So what services that are offered at like a campus health services? Do they have, um, what does their psychiatry team or psychiatric staff look like? Okay. Is that something where the youth is able to have their full treatment done on campus? Or does that health services sort of work as a bridge to home provision, meaning they can fill medication, they might be able to follow up with a student, but perhaps they're not, there's a limiter bound to the level of psychiatric care that can be provided in that space, okay? Um, what is the model of counseling that's used on that campus, for example? My university does not have strict session limits, but they are very clear that they operate on a, you know, short term or brief term um, sort of counseling model. In other words, um, we have lots of families, lots of students who are coming to us saying, how do I transfer, right, my counseling services to college? Right. Okay. And depending on the setting, most college counseling centers are not set up to be long term care, you know, providers in that sense. So get asking some of those important questions. Um, most students who've had a 504 or IEP in the K-12 realm should be talking uh, with the disability provider on that campus. Sometimes it's called disability services. Sometimes it's called access services and supports. Um, those offices tend to be located either in an office like a dean of students office. Sometimes they're located in academic affairs. And I say in the last five to seven years, we've seen some of those departments start to move into units that are called like, um, they're the diversity equity areas. Oh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. Uh, social justice spaces, right? So, so finding where that office is <laughs> and having a conversation about how accommodations are provided at that school. Those those are the things that um, are really important as these students are starting to look at schools. And notice that I, I list them in a specific order because I would say after they've done that, they should then be talking with the school team about, okay, or, or their providers, what documentation am I going to need that I don't currently have? in order for me to receive these services at school, okay? Yeah. The number one problem, and I have said this probably for the last eight years and it has not changed, is when high schools, the last time that they have assessed a student um, might have been eighth grade. Right. I see that happen a lot. Or maybe it was ninth grade. And they weren't retested because their, you know, skills and their, you know, overall scores, both on educational and, and psychiatric measures, were deemed to be stable. Right. Okay. Well, the problem 
for that, with that, is when they go to college, whether we're talking undergrad, graduate school, professional school, most of those disability offices are going to require adult scores. Mm. Okay. So that testing that was done in eighth or ninth grade is not sufficient. Okay. And so then we see families start incurring all sorts of (laughs) fees, right? They're trying to find someone who covers testing. You know, we know psychological testing is not often covered by insurance. Um, so, So we see that start to happen. And we also see a big um, mismatch between what I call the realm of realistic possibility versus what the family is asking for. So prime example of this would be my son or daughter needs a single room because they have an attentional deficit disorder and they can't concentrate when other people are around. Therefore, it is imperative that they have a single. Well, well no, actually it's not. Right. Right. But but the families oftentimes don't understand why, because there's a misunderstanding of how does my child's learning need translate into the adult realm? Yes. Right. And what what are the services that my student is in theory entitled to, which is none, by the way, (laughs) um, in the college realm. But understanding that um, there isn't such a thing as wraparound service in college, I think is like one of the most important things for families. And I find that even, Joanne, even my colleagues who work in therapeutic spaces, right, like the one where you work and where I worked, even though they understand that, we're still seeing a lot of lack of preparation for families who are coming into our spaces, right? Like they're just shocked that right, they are not right. going to get this, even though like and, everyone told them. <laughs> well, and that's that's one of the things that actually that, yeah, we do work on quite a bit with our students who are planning to go to any Mm-hmm. Um, additional education, whether it's a community college, four-year school, whatever, that first of all, you can't get the service if it's not on your IP. So of course, all of our students are on IEPs. Right. And the most the most typical ones are extended time or yep. testing in a separate space. Separate area. Yeah. Which which men and we always tell them they're they don't have to provide it, but that's one of the things you should be looking for through disability support or academic support, whatever they call it. Um, Those are the most likely ones. Will you be able to ask for an extension on a paper? Probably not. You Um, can ask anything you want. Right. (laughs) Will it happen? Um, (laughs) if, If something, and if it is offered or you turn in a paper late, it's very typical to get, you know, either not accepted or a, a letter grade down for every day or or something like that. Right. And they look at me like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and I will say in school, we have been kind of flexible with deadlines and we still are because there's a lot of reasons. I mean, they're still at a point in their academic abilities and other things, but extended time is not infinite time. 
Correct. Which which that has gotten to be an eye opener for some people. It's like, if you turn it in within the next day or two, I'm fine. If you mm-hmm. turn it in next week, I'm going to ding you. Right. If you ask me at the end of the term, can you turn in stuff? I might say no. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That type of thing. Um, but preparing for that and what actually does constitute a reason to to give a student a single room as a freshman, I I don't even know what that is, but um, yeah. and it depends on the school and right. they have limited dormitory space. It's not like everybody gets a single. That's, you know, yeah. just not a thing. And part of the college experience is having the roommate. Right. As right. Kadir and I as, are as still jo- here. Joanne, Joanne and I are here, however, blah, 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 years later. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Met, met on the first day of college. But, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, I will say I have kids with pretty significant, you know, mental health issues where we will make that request. Mm-hmm. And that it's, oh, at that level, it's almost always, well, this is so necessary. You know, the child, I mean, and that's what housing or student services wants mm-hmm. to know that they're not really mm-hmm. going to be able to to proceed or navigate school without that need, you know, so something yeah. like severe OCD or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but it's, it, it is, there is a lot of expectation. Oh my gosh. More broad accommodations. That is so much, but I'm, you must, Oh my gosh, you must see it. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm chuckling. I'm chuckling because, um, so, um, funny enough, so the director of disability access and inclusion at URI is also a school psychologist and we came through the same program. And so we were actually at dinner last night. We, we, we called the last two weeks and the first two weeks of the semester, we just titled them the audacity. And we said, we were actually going to have a shirt made because it. it's, it's like these overarching asks for things that are just not in the realm of reason at all. Like I haven't turned in my assignment since the middle of October because life got too hard. And now that it's December 13th, um, I am mad because my professor won't let me turn things in. Well, my friend, it's a 15 week semester. So what you're saying is like on week seven, you just sort of checked out and you're mad that on the last day of classes that they're not taking your work. Like no, no one is going to help you through that. And so there is, we spend a lot of time talking about whether someone is otherwise qualified. Mm -hmm. Okay. To, to be in the campus space. And what I would say has sort of shifted in our conversation um, since COVID is we were typically talking about otherwise qualified from a, like an academic standpoint, like a academic skills perspective. But we've been having that conversation more frequently now as it relates to mental stamina and almost grit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't generally like to use those terms, but they are the correct ones for what we're mm-hmm. sort of talking about here. You know, so for the student who has such significant psychiatric needs that they do really need to live in their own space. Mm-hmm. We will acknowledge that all day. The que- but however, we then talk about community impact. And what we are seeing more of, and it's very concerning to me, is we have more students who are needing to sort of exit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the college learning space because 
they cannot self-regulate enough to not impact the community of people that they are living or learning with. That's big. So we we have had, I've gone to battle with quite a few other psychologists and some psychiatrists lately because there's this conversation about are we making, are we setting a student up for failure when we say they need X, right, in order to navigate their academic environment? But although they're ac- navigating their academic environment, they are being very disruptive in and being disrupted by right. everything outside of their classroom space, which is now feeding into negative academic performance. Right. 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 So would it be better for this student to live not on campus where they can be as dysregulated as they need to be, but where we as a campus community aren't now having to put a student through a potential conduct process Mm -hmm. or where they're not showing up on our care teams each week? Right because of the number of people they're impacting. And this, like all around the country, has been a really um, popular, frustrating topic for disability providers, for case managers. And I've been saying this now probably for the last 15 years, right? You have the right to be mentally unwell and access college. Every, right, you have the right to do so, but you do not have the right for your lack of mental wellness to negatively impact others. That's that's the cutoff. For For sure. Yeah, of course. Of course. But it's very hard for students and families and sometimes their providers to hear that because as a society, we understand um, that for our youngsters to get uh, farther in life, that the concept of a college education is almost a requirement. Now, Mm -hmm. we can talk about all the space, like all the things that don't require those, right? Skilled professional trades, whatever. Um, But there's a misunderstanding that just because someone has the right to additional education or we think they need it to be successful does not mean that everyone was set up for the four-year or sometimes even the two-year college experience. For sure. For sure. And as an educator, right, that is that is hard for me to say out loud, but I find myself saying it about once a week. Yep. No, well, I- and, then, and then I think another um, thing that I see from my school sometimes, not universally, certainly, but many families reject the idea that it's not a straight path, that perhaps 100%. a student that's 17 or 18 years old isn't ready because of self-regulation ability or um, ability to um, manage their time or, or such things as that. But maybe in a year or two, you know, they might do a gap year, they might get a job, they might take a class or two at the community college, which I that is a very legitimate way to test the waters and build some of those things. Um, so and I tell students all the time, it's life is never a straight path. Do you think I wanted to be an English teacher from the time I was 12? And oh, no. <laughs> so, um, 
some students have been shocked and appalled by that. But <laughs> um, but it is life is maybe at age 20 or 21, they might be ready and might choose to do it a different way than live on campus. But maybe they do want to live on campus. So we need to be open to different paths. That's to ab- that. It's absolutely terrifying to families and students for many to have that conversation you know it really is because the the imposed or expect, expected or the story is that it is a straight line and is that you must do it this way and in certain you know types of school settings very com- competitive ones not only do you have to do it, but you have to do it only at a certain type of school at a certain level of competition and you have to achieve there or you're you know you're it's it's fail like it's defined as failure and it is i can see the blood drain often from families over you know i've been doing this for 30 years and it it drains from their face when i say you know <laughs> we may just have to you know what what's what's going to help serve our, you know, my patient, your child, to help them succeed in the longer run. Not, and as they get a little older, they can presumably have a little more agency over what they want. And once they're out of that pre-planned story of, oh, it has to be this way, they can begin to see, oh, maybe this isn't what I want, or maybe I want to try something else. Because we have to account for their maturation too. So, um, so that's, I know, outside of the story of services in college, but it's it's huge. I mean, it's not outside of it, but it's like, it, that may not be the story, right? Propping them up or giving them, so I think that's what you were saying, Tag, right? Like so many yeah. supports. Are they otherwise ready, qualified? Yeah. Is it otherwise suited to them to have to do that? And and I, I empathize with families so much because as a society, what we continue to drill right, is this concept that college is done 15 credits per semester for four years, and that's how you achieve a bachelor's degree. Um, In my office, and actually in our dean of students office, which is a number of units, we have pushed back really hard, actually, against um, our admissions units, and it has nothing to do with our school, you know, specifically. But when you are pushing a narrative that 15 and 4 is how you get this done, but we're also saying we want to continue to bring in a more diverse set of students who don't fit Um, the old school model of traditional college student, those two things are incompatible, right? Right. So the narrative, right? So so I spend a lot of time with brand new students sitting down and saying, here are the variety of ways that you can complete 30 credits in a year, Mm -hmm. okay? So let's talk, let's stop talking about a school year as two semesters because it actually isn't. Right. That's For right. us, right, there's a fall, there's a January term, there's a spring, and there's two, in theory, three summer sessions. Summer session three just means that it's the combo of one and two. Ah. So we take a look at, all right, well, well, what would it look like if you took nine credits in the fall and you took a January class? Right. And then you took your nine credits in the spring and maybe you took six or eight credits during the summer. Does that still get you the same number of credits in that year? Maybe. Right. Mm -hmm. Almost. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, and so again, it, it goes back to your original question of what are the things that families need to look out for? Right. Because one of the things that I'm never shy talking to families about is money. Right, right. You have to. Right. Because if you have a child or young adult who has some specific learning needs, the reality is the cost of their college education is likely going to be more expensive than it would be for the youngster who is not going through some of these challenges, either because you're going to end up hiring additional tutoring support, but more likely for one of these two reasons, because the student's going to need to take a little bit longer. Right. Okay. Or, and this is what I try to help families avoid at all costs, because inevitably the family wants their youngster to be typically progressing, whatever that means, so badly that they ignore what everyone has said and they send them off and say, okay, even though things were terrible as of July, things are going to be great from September to December. And we see families dropping 20, 30, 45 grand and the student fumbles and they struggle and they fumble and they struggle and they finally get connected with someone, but a little bit too late in the semester. And at that point, all we're able to do is have them go out on a leave of absence. So we're, we're able to prevent the, the damage on the transcript, but we're not able to go back and erase all that money that was spent. No, no. Right. And so, you know, again, we we talk through what type of school, where should that school be? Is your 17 to 20 year old ready to live on their own? Not asking if you want them to be ready. (laughs) Do you think they're ready to do it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that's that's such an excellent point. And I think probably one that doesn't get talked about enough. So that's fabulous that you're just, you know, just not shy about it, just to have that up there, because even if you're talking about spreading it out through a winter term and a summer term, you know, that financial aid comes in semesters. It comes by semester by semester and yes, additional does. supports, a financial, you know, if you want to take a winter term, you want it. That's all going to be, you know, out of a, a pocket. That's <laughs> not going to be covered usually, typically by financial aid. So, um Anyway, and it'd be different for all situations, but I think it is the idea that it is a different path will, will likely cost more money, but yeah. maybe potentially we can reduce a big money crash like a whole lost semester if, as we've you know talked about you know at the very beginning of this, ha- having those conversations right at the start of even thinking about college and starting to look about and have those look at. Uh, at colleges and even having conversations, you know, if there's any way to say, you know what, maybe this year we're not ready, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and speaking of deadlines, part of that, which I'm sure you talk to the students, there are withdrawal from class deadlines right. where you would lose less money. But if you're, if the student is struggling along trying to meet outside expectations, they may either miss that, ignore it. Um, it varies by school, I'm sure, when that deadline is. But, you know, if you go in the next day and say, you know what, I want to withdraw, it's like, oh, well, that just cost you how much ever. 
That's right. Um, yeah. So that's just another thing to put on, you know, the horizon or whatever. Right. And the la- list of yes. questions, that list of yeah, information exactly. that you need. Cause I know like the, I know the SUNY schools, their withdrawal date is like two weeks into the semester, you know, and amount of the private schools, it's much further into the semester, but I've had kids including one of my own <laughs> be like, what, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so that information, and, like these lists of, you know, gathering yes. data, collecting so valuable in this process, if it can be done. Yes, it's it's so important. Um, and one thing we haven't mentioned, but I think is important um, for, for listeners to think about is tuition insurance is mm-hmm. something that exists. Mm-hmm. Yep. Most families do not know that right. it exists. Right. But I think like most other insurance products, people say, eh, I don't need that. Right. Right. Yep. right. And they say it even when they're like, crossing their fingers and their toes and squinting. <laughs> like when they send off the youngster, they're like, Ooh, we don't know how this is going to go. Yeah, right. right? right. I, one of the things I say is, okay, you don't have to listen to any of the things that we've talked about. However, if you do decide to move forward, I strongly encourage your family to consider this piece. Yep. Particularly when you're sending your child out of state or to a private school. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I've had that. I, I have come to have that conversation regularly as well, because I think it's, yeah. it is, um, it's just a very practical thing, um, but it can help everyone feel a little, take, take a little less of that out of the conversation. If you know, you can, you know, sort of at least recoup some of those costs, Once. you know? Yeah. And it's, it's so complicated because I think um, as tends to be the case with most things, people who have perhaps the most educational and financial privilege coming into the process are actually allowed to struggle longer. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me, let me explain what I mean by that. So if we take a look at how school is funded in general, let's just use a state school or really any school for students who are utilizing federal financial aid, Separate from the cutoff that the university actually has for their withdrawal, there are other deadlines for federal aid. Oh, interesting. Such that, so like one example, and this is standard across the country, if a student who's using federal aid drops out of their classes before the 60% point of the semester, Mm -hmm. the federal government actually has the right to take that aid back. So let me give an example of what that means. Let's say the semester cost, let's say the tuition is $15,000 for this semester. The student misses their university withdrawal deadline where they're going to get any money back. And then they drop out like middle third week of October. Well, they've not reached the 60% point of the semester from the federal perspective. So now the student has dropped out they owe money to the institution and the student loans that they took out that covered part of that semester are actually going to get snatched back. Mm. So the family ends up owing more direct cash because the student didn't meet the government requirement of aid, right? So that's for the family who needs their their aid, okay? For families that are self-paying, 
Okay. It's a little bit different because again, yeah, you missed the deadline and, and yeah, that, that really hurts, but the student does not have financial aid implications such mm-hmm. that their aid got taken back. Mm-hmm. They also don't have this concept of, um, did I complete enough of my attempted credits to be eligible for aid in the future? Right. Right. Okay. And that is something that Many students who are struggling with their mental health, it's a conversation I find myself having multiple times per week, right? So so family, and I think it's important for high school educators to know that, for providers to know it as well. (laughs) Just because a school saves a student's transcript, so they might get a grade of like no work or no recorded grade or incomplete, when those grades are not earned letter grades, it actually still affects their eligibility for federal financial aid. You have to complete 67% of the credits that you attempt. Oh, wow. I had no idea. So again, if you're a family that's in a position that's able to self-pay, you don't really care about that. I mean, like you do, but it's not something that applies to you. So if your student has a false start, they can false start each time. It's costing you money, but there aren't other stop gaps in place that are like detrimental to that student. So when we look at the layer of poverty or students and families that are squarely middle-class, but are trying to sort of climb Mm -hmm. to that next level, and the student is unwell, there's all these extra layers that have to be considered when we talk about, I want to try a little bit longer. They don't understand how much is at stake when they do that. Um, And so that's why working, you know, with someone like a case management department, like my office, we sit with a family or with a student and say, okay, here's the list of things no one's going to talk to you about because they don't know they need to talk to you about this. You're not going to ask this at a welcome day because no one wants to talk to you about, you know, what happens if things go wrong at week seven. They want to talk to you about, right. They're like, Here, here's how, like, they're like, hey, you've been accepted. Here's all the information about what this costs. But hey, right, like, go say hello to, you know, school mascot. These are things that I think in our lines of work, they're important things to know and understand. Yes. yes. Um, and so I would say for, for schools, like, if you have a, a state school that's close to you where you're seeing more of your students go into, it would be really helpful for, like, a director of special education or people in that system to have some basic understanding of how their local state school works. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. So is there, is that like information that people, I mean, those kinds of laws are like, we rely on someone like you or someone who has a lot of knowledge to like share that. Do you think there are resources for families to... So there are resources, but they're going to be buried in like the financial aid website of the school that you're looking at. Yeah. And they're good. it's going to be stated clearly. It's going to say, right? Right. Your finance your financial aid, right? If you withdraw from this semester before November 4th, right? Okay. Your federal aid is going to be taken back. It's going to say that. Right. But who's reading that? Right. right? Who who is looking at that? Right. Right. 
right? And so then you have to hope like the student, their family, the co- like the, the degree-granting college who's trying to help the student, wow. the registrar's office and the financial aid office are all looking at these different dates. Right. And it's not any, it's not singularly any of their responsibilities. Right. And, and so this is where you see, right, the really unfortunate stories of a student who really tried for two years. They're 80 grand in debt. Right. They've got like 15 credits. Their family spent their life savings and they've, they've not gotten any farther. Right. And so this, this is, these are the sorts of things where I think our conversations right. in junior year, senior year, um, when the student first gets there um, to college are really important. Right. So like, so, I mean, that's, you know, what a right. level of really critical information that is not, you know, on the front door. And as you say, uh, on, <clears throat> you know, in in very unequal ways affects those families who are, you know, coming from, you know, uh, lower resources and, you know, less resourced uh, families who can, who are relying on those, uh, those aid packages. Um, and if their child is struggling, it's a whole nother level of, of difficulty. So. Yeah. It's a whole different version of hard is how yeah. we, yes. we talk about it. In yes. Right. Yes. Right. right. Um, which I think just re-emphasizes that perhaps going slower or less right. directly in the long run, not only for the students, because I, I would say as an educator, certainly we want our students to succeed, despite the fact that they think we hate them. We want them to <laughs> succeed. We do like hanging out with them. Um, and we would much rather see somebody take a zigzag path or a slower path. And then when you add in the financial implications to that, it's like, really consider this. What wouldn't you rather be successful with a half load? Right. Right. And move forward at that pace, than uh, gather up all this debt that potentially could. Yeah, for sure. Because. Yeah, it's better to succeed two courses at a time than to fail right. four courses at a time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the last thing I'll say about the financial piece that I do think will help um, some of the families and students that we work with, um, the federal, um, the FAFSA mm-hmm. is... Um, changing it's it's already changed but it's being the new fafsa um, is being released on december 31st okay and so there are some um you know key changes that can help um, those students and families who are reliant on some version of aid for them to be able to navigate um, the college experience. One of those changes um, is that students will be eligible if they are Pell Grant eligible, mm-hmm. right? If they are, if their family resources such that they qualify for federal Pell, they'll be able to access that at a lower number of credits than they've typically been able um, to do so. And so up until now, you had to have more than six credits Mm. okay, to utilize your Pell funding. And one of the key legislative changes within the new FAFSA process is that students can access year-round Pell at that six credit mark. 
That's that's actually really good news. I mean, that's we, we yeah. like to recognize something that's positive. I mean, that's yeah. that's a big change. It, yes, it's it's a big change, and I think can make the world of difference for the students we're talking about. Yes. Okay, you want to go slower? You can take the six credits in the summer. Right. And if yeah. Pell is part of what your funding is, it will cover the tuition, right? So just things to be aware of as we're helping these families navigate for sure. what does college completion potentially look like for your youngster. And that idea right. that we've come back to over and over, that it doesn't look the same, that we can't expect it to look the same for every youngster, for every student, yeah. and especially in, you know, the people where, you know, the kids and families we're talking about where there are mental health struggles, you know, to really be embracing the idea of figuring out your own, your, your path, your, your the student's path right. that is going to yeah, work what for makes them. sense for you. And, and yeah. just because you did a slower pace for one year doesn't mean that that's, Right. going to be the rest of the, you might be able to take more classes or maybe not maybe that's the perfect amount for you or maybe you could take one more or a full load but but being willing to take those steps yeah. on your own terms yeah. is really yeah important big deal absolutely well i think we've kept you for very long yeah. <laughs> for two full recordings and we really so appreciate your time and your knowledge and what you've shared with us and our listeners um thank you so much so much you're welcome yes thank you you are welcome any last thoughts or anything we should know in terms of um we you know we'll put any resources you know that we talked about in the in the yeah, show notes, definitely but... the birch thing that sounded great right i think that was from part oh, one, that was but... the last episode well <laughs> that's okay there we go still <laughs> great good. no with with regard to this i would just say um as much information as um schools and providers can gather about their local mm -hmm. institutions to sort of help you help your youth navigate what's around. I think the more knowledge you have and you feel confident in that information, we'll just be able to help the families that you're working with more. And what I know for a fact is if you approach your local schools, they would be happy <laughs> to have that conversation right. Right. so yeah. that they're not having to correct misinformation. Right, or right. having to sit with students who have come unprepared because people just didn't have the information for them beforehand. Right. That's a great so, idea. Very specific yeah. thing you can do. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 All, right. All right. Well, thank you very again. Thank and you. Yes. Uh, we will uh, really um, look forward to getting this out to our listeners and, and hearing uh, their responses. So thank you. Thank you so much, Jackie. Thank Take you. Care. Awesome. You have a great care. rest of your weekend.